Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. You, I'm all I'm all over the place, man. I, I can't do this tonight. I'm just kidding. Uh, it's your boy Mac. Joining me today is my co-host Corey Walsh of Fear the Sword, fresh off of our appearance from the Chase Down Pod. Such a great experience. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a high that I haven't come back from yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I didn't think we'd ever get to that point. I'm happy that they, you know, let us come on the show and whatnot. So that was pretty dope. But that's not what tonight's post game edition is about. Clearly, it's about the Cavs' loss, the 120 to 112 loss to the Dallas Mavericks, in which, you know, the first half was awesome, especially for Karis LeVert, and we'll talk about him in a minute. But the second half was, was you know, before we started recording here, Corey, what I was telling you is that you can't afford to get into a firefight, especially if you're you're the Cavs and you're depleted. It's just, it's just one of those things, man. Uh, but nonetheless... If you had to give me your biggest takeaway from the night, what would it be? Uh, it'd definitely be that the, the two guards played probably their best game together since Karis arrived a few a few months ago. <laughs> but um, it's more the cohesion that they kind of had together, even more than the, just their scoring. Because like we've been saying that we feel like Karis's shots kind of feel like they're out of the flow of the offense. And we don't really feel like he has really found his way into how this team works. And for a major offensively, that they looked like a pretty solid one-two punch, something that I look forward to when the team's at full strength. But now that we're without our entire defensive front, it looks nice because you know, offense is like what sells, but defensively we were a turnstile the entire game. And that is no fault of the guards. It's more that we no. just didn't have the bodies to yeah. help to, uh, supplant the guards as well. Exactly. I mean, literally you're down to Moses Brown, who everybody, including myself was like, this guy's got to have the biggest damn game tonight with Evan Mobley missing the next three, which is tough. I'm not even going to talk about that. Cause I'm going to be angry. <laughs> uh, Cause we still don't know what's going on with Jared Allen. Um, you know, for the rest of the season and whatnot. So, I mean, that literally leaves you with Larry Markinen, Kevin Love, Moses Brown, and where's Ed Davis? Is Ed Davis just not suiting up? Uh, Ed Davis is filling out his AARP card as we speak. <laughs> so disrespectful. <laughs> um, all jokes aside, yeah, it's literally just Moses Brown is like your biggest paint protector, I guess. And that's literally just based off of his size. Um, he's still raw. He doesn't move too well in terms of closeouts on the defensive end. He's, I mean, he's everything you would expect from a guy who's bounced around a bit. But he still played a pretty good game in in, in the time that he had tonight. Yeah, now Moses Brown is like the definition of a raw project player big because Mm -hmm. everything he does is like NBA level serviceable in terms of like he's a decent pick and roll partner right now for Darius. And I think it was you who tweeted that you noted like it's just so essential for Darius. Like the offense kind of reverts back to how it sort of looked with Jared Allen when Moses Brown is like being an active threat in the pick and roll, because when he just does it with Mobley, it doesn't necessarily work the same. I think Mobley no. doesn't have that type of brute strength to really muscle his way through the paint. I mean, I mean, to an extent though, Moses Brown doesn't either. He's just bigger. Uh, just, I, he just looks taller than Evan Mobley out there. That's, that's, that's crazy to believe, but 
I don't know, man. Neither of them really have that brute strength. But even in some of the pick and roll actions that you saw that um, Karis LeVert and DG ran with Moses, he didn't look to roll a lot of the time. He did sometimes, but <laughs> he just didn't roll as much as I would like him to. I feel like every time he rolled, he was expecting an alley-oop. Like, you just kept on seeing him motion for it. And then if mm-hmm. he ever got the dunk, you would think he just posterized, like, Luca and Dorian Finney-Smith at the same time. Like, the dude just hangs yeah. on the rim for an endless amount of He's time. He's soaking it in because he doesn't know, like, what the future holds, I'm, I'm assuming. Um, yeah. I will say he had some bad defensive plays tonight, too. There, that, there was that poster dunk that he got on himself. <laughs> and there was the also where Luca got him. Did you see that one? Oh my god! I honestly, from the first angle, I'm like, oh, did Luca just basically Behind travel? Yeah, I thought he had traveled initially. I thought he went up and then just came back down. I'm like, nope, he uh, Moses just got toyed. He did, <laughs> and that's not going to look very good on your house of highlights reel. <laughs> when, no, that, when that's literally back. that's a shocked in a full moment right there. I don't even know if they still do that segment. Oh, they do. <laughs> it's it's it, Russell Westbrook's been winning it a lot lately. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I can imagine. But Moses Brown definitely could be a contender for that award at least for that play tonight but i I liked what he brought you know and in some pretty solid man it's just you cannot expect the guy to be in the closing unit and he wasn't jb probably just didn't trust him to be out there in such an offensive firefight anyways and i guess that's a good segue into talking about uh, the other half of things luca luca donches man I just don't know if there was anything the Cavs could have truly done tonight to stop him um we saw Isaac Okoro match up with them and they, they were picking him heavy. Did you notice that? They, him him and Lamar were getting just picked all over the place. You would think there was a sniper in like the top row of rocket mortgage field house. Cause their bodies looked like they just got shot. <laughs> it was, the- yeah. It was at least one sequence toward the end where I, th- I want to say Okoro went through like two or three screens on one possession, just moving the ball past mid court for them. Powell and Kleba set some mean picks, I guess, because they like Okoro and Lamar are strong dudes mm-hmm. and they they just were not like I feel like after the first quarter, it just wears down on you so much that every time it's like you're just running into a wall. Luca is pretty slippery, too. Like you would not th- look at him and think outside of the height that he is like this overly athletic guy. And we've often talked about, you know, athleticism shows in, in different ways here. Uh, but I will say this, this dude is slippery as hell. Like, uh, he can move around screens so well. And he did that tonight, not only on Isaac, but on Lamar too, as you pointed to. And I actually think that both of them did a pretty decent job. Yeah. The only way I feel like this defense really faltered is that it seemed like after every time that we sent a double over, no one really seemed to cover the corners because every three that was taken from either side was wide open pretty much. And it always looked like a miscommunication because like the minute that the three sank through the basket, (laughs) you just saw like three calves look at each other and be like, I thought you were, I thought you were covering it. Usually. I mean, once we unveil, the uh, deadly defensive lineup of Lowry the and Love, <laughs> the Lowry and Love, then uh, that was going to be a recipe for disaster from the start. And it, in the first half, it looked fine because there was enough offensive punch to keep going toe for toe. But like you said, uh, yeah, once that kind of wore off and the uh, NBA jam meter died back down to zero, uh, reality bit real hard <laughs> the nba jam meter never died down on dallas's end i don't know how many times they put moses brown and company in rotation for a, a pal dunk 
for a lob. That Luca man, geez Louise, he consistently took advantage of that. Yeah, it's only a matter of time before our front court of or our backcourt of the future looks real nice with Luca and Darius, right? <laughs> yeah, twenty twenty seven. Just That's going to be an awesome time, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, you never know. If Luca and Rick don't get along, or maybe him and the Cubes, you never know. <laughs> we'll have to see what happens. I mean, I don't want this to sound all negative, but it was just – it was a tough loss, man. I mean, if you could take away a, a positive tonight, what would it be? Uh, Karis LeVert, 100%. I think that his performance was a nice, like, breath of reassurance. I know – I feel like – once again, you know, Karis just can't win on Twitter because it even <laughs> seemed that like if you're like Karis finally gave us a good game. I, I tweeted like Karis Levert deserves a damn good apology. And the first like thing that I see from other people's tweets involving Karis, the comments are just like it's one good game. But like, it's just one. That's all, yeah. When I posted what I posted, people are doing the same thing. I was like, oh, okay. I guess we're just gonna like not view this as a sign of positivity. We're gonna view this as like beginner's luck or like something dumb like that. It's like, no, yeah, you know, Karis has not ever had a good night before in his life. So <laughs> it is there literally is no way around it. It's either black or white with Karis. It's Karis is shitty or Karis is a great player. There's no gray area, I feel like, on Cavs Twitter in regards to him, even though this is still only his 13th game with Cleveland, which was broken up by, you know, an injury. So he still is finding his footing, but it was nice to see him come out and, um, you know, get a season high with the Cavs. That was pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly in the first half. No, yeah, and then he's it's not like he became a worse player in the second half. I think scoring wise, obviously it was gonna be really tough to match that offensive output from the first half, but I think he still was shooting within rhythm. He hit a a good three in like the fourth quarter after we passed it around the perimeter. It felt nice. It felt very smooth, seamless. There was like one or two possessions with him where I felt like he kind of was like just feeling himself more than mm-hmm. before where the shots that you kind of grimaced at were uh, pretty, pretty uh, gone from the previous. I mean, a lot of the same shots that he was, the same types of shots that he was taking uh, against Orlando uh, when he had a bad shooting night, he took some of the same types of shots tonight and they fell. I mean, case in point, there was one possession in which he took towards the right-hand side of the baseline where he took a pull-up jumper and it made it. I don't know if you remember, but he pulled up from that range same exact way against Orlando, and it looked terrible. Um, With him, I'm kind of just trying to make peace with with the fact that, you know, you're going to live and and die sometimes with his shot selection. Um, The Cavs need – they obviously need a guy out there that can create his own shot. Um, and tonight was a great reminder, a great example of just exactly what the Cavs traded for in regards to him. Because, you know, even though he only ended up with four assists tonight, he was moving the ball pretty well, too. Yeah, Karis, really. you can't really like I, I, I Karis like brought like 90 percent of what he brought tonight on a daily basis. Like, that's all we really want. Not expecting him to be like, all right, guys, the team's going on my back tonight. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> I just want him to be a good supplementary offensive player. I don't need him to be the primary. (laughs) Exactly. We we know who the primary is and who's going to remain the primary probably even next season, and that is Darius Garland. Um, I mean, the guy is shouldering a monumental load on his shoulders, and 
I just don't think you can ask anything more of him tonight. 25 points, 10 assists. He had another double-double. I think they said he's up to what, like uh, 27? 27. Yeah, 27 on the season. And um, he has the most assists where he's averaging the most assists in his season. Um, Really, I'm trying to think of a way to put this because I tried to tweet this out earlier and I really, really fucked it up. (laughs) Um. He's the first non-LeBron Cleveland Cavalier to average at least eight and a half assists since Andre Miller did so in 2001, I want to say. <laughs> Andre Miller, lethal shooter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, th- that's insane to think about. Um, you know, we've seen so many great assisting seasons from LeBron throughout the years in in wine and gold. But to see Darius Garland go out there and, you know, try and play make and get his guys involved – it's it's great. I mean, like I said, you can't really ask anything him uh, more from him. No, Darius is like I. I feel like if there's never, I can't see a situation in which I'm going to complain about Darius at all. He could have a, like a really bad <laughs> two weeks, and I can I couldn't possibly probably succumb to the idea of throwing Darius under the bus well, because just, the season is basically Darius Garland putting the team on his back. Yeah, I mean, if the the Cavs are banned. <laughs> uh Darius Garland uh he's obviously the the leader he's the the lead singer of the bunch and I was trying to think of a great example I was literally getting ready to say uh Paul McCartney but then you you'd probably have people out there saying well John Lennon <laughs> well John <laughs> Lennon was just as great uh who's Ringo <laughs> Ringo that's a good that's a great question <laughs> <laughs> Who's the fourth one that I always forget the name? Isaac Okoro, probably at <laughs> yeah. this point. Yeah, um, that is said, Jetty the manager. <laughs> don't get me started on Jetty. We'll talk about him last, just just because he's just so depressing in regards to that. Um, before we move off of the backcourt, just listen to this man. They contributed together fifty-seven points. The starting backcourt tonight contributed fifty-seven points, and we still lost. Sounds like a Sexland uh, point combination. It does, like from the tail end of last season. Um, it sounds like something that you would see um, from the pre-Mobley-Allen days from the two of them. Yeah, I mean, like I said, the back the backcourt was like the farthest issue I had with this game. I think defensively, we basically lost our two best defenders and... And we have a Coro and a Lamar are great defenders in their own right, but they don't alter the way that this Cavs team works in the same way that Mobley and Allen do. And it's mm-hmm. it's like serviceable to have at least one of them in the lineup, but to go from Allen and Mobley to Moses Brown, Laurie and love is the biggest step drop off of defensive talent that I've seen in a while. I mean, there is absolutely no way you can make up for that. I mean, um, you know, a lot of people made the comparison uh, with the, I want to say the Memphis Grizzlies in our last few episodes in regards to, you know, their their success without somebody like John Morant or even when the bigs are out. The difference between them and the Cavs is that they are built differently. They have depth at key positions. Seriously. Hashtag I mean, built different. <laughs> yes, exactly. As corny as that shit sounds, it's the truth. It's like, they have depth at some of the most key positions. They have key at, um, you know, at wing. They have some pretty good playmakers um, that can come out there and make up for the lack of so um, when Jaws out. And they have bigs out there that can step out and do different things and different skill sets. The Cavs, on the other hand, I feel like they had that, and then they lost it <laughs> with all these damn injuries. I mean, you tell me 
can you think of any team out there in the league that could manage to keep things, you know, keep themselves in play in range or play at playoff range rather having to deal with so many injuries to key positions as the Cavs have? You know, funny enough that you mentioned that I was thinking about this earlier today and I, I was because I was I just wanted to, like, you know, go on my soapbox and say how the Cavs are just getting screwed <laughs> by have. the injury. You totally should have. But then I well, I remembered that the the Miami Heat are number like one of the best teams in the East and they've gone through stretches without Butler and Adebayo. And apparently Kyle Lowry has just been MIA for like months at a time. And they're managing to make it work because, you know, hashtag heat culture. (laughs) (laughs) I'll hear uh, that right now. (laughs) But I also think, like you said, that like with the Grizzlies, that the heater, the the build of the team is so different from team Mm -hmm. to team that it's where you really can't draw comparisons for like, you can't just say like, oh, well, this team looks like this so the Cavs should look like this when they're injured as well exactly because all injuries impact teams differently and they're the way that they respond is based off the development that they have and the Cavs are a very are a good team but I wouldn't go by any stretch of saying that the Cavs are one of the most deep teams in the league either and that's something that I feel like what Miami and Memphis have is like immense depth they do. I mean, there's no question about that. And there is, you know, as much as I hate to admit it, you're correct. Heat culture. We all know that that is a thing. And, uh, you know, that does sound corny, too, but it's the truth. People are bought in. Um, and I guess that's a great way to talk about <laughs> our fellow. Um, I don't even know what you want to call him at this point. So I'll just get right to it. Jetty Osman. <laughs> Some weird shit going on with him, man. Like, I, I get it. The effort level, we talked about that in the last couple of times, last couple of episodes. I We even talked about it with Carter and Justin. Is tonight a night we should have saw Jetty Osmond? Uh, I feel like J- JB looked at the lack of defense that was on the floor, and he's like, I know your ass is not going out did, there. Did he, he me defense. did he travel with the team? Did you see him at any point during yeah, the <laughs> I, I saw him standing as the starters were sitting down for a breather. You know, he kept their seat warm. He did his he did Was his he part down the road. JB, like, come on, coach. JB's like, Jenny's like, oh, so Windler, I see he's getting some tread. That's nice. Uh, oh, Goodwin's going in. He hasn't been in in a while. <laughs> then he sees Rondo take off his day clothes into a jumper. He's like, wait, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I thought Rondo was out on the injury report. Yeah, no, I don't know. J- Jenny, I, I, what do you think? Do you think we see Jetty before the season ends? <laughs> Outside no. of uh, a Ken Genley Kia commercial break, maybe? No. So he can get some pocket change? Mm-mm. And I think a lot of that is going to have to do with whether or not the Cavs suffer any more injuries. Um, we have know. suffered many injuries, and Jetty Osmond is not getting called up. What's it going to take? What injury would it possibly take for Jetty Osmond to get the well, tires There's two kicked? different things here, bro. There's two different things here. The, the question is... The, the the two questions that that I'm thinking in my head is, one, are we going to see Jetty? I think no. The other question is, do I do I wish we did? Yes. Um, you know, tonight and for the rest of the season, one thing we know about Jetty is that he is combustible. The other thing that we know about Jetty is that he's highly inconsistent. 
And what was the one thing that we kept saying coming into this season and uh, not coming into the season, but during the early portion of the season, it was that Jetty Osmond thrived when his role was simplified, when you knew what he needed to do and when he got limited minutes. And for the most part, that worked out. The shot were the shots were falling from three point range. And you put this very eloquently, um, you know, and on the chase down. Some of those three-point attempts, you know, that you were getting from Jetty earlier on, other players are stepping up and they're and they're being able to provide that. And so when you have a guy like Jetty who is mainly used for offensive means, we you know you joked about this last time we were on. Defense is not <laughs> is not his forte at all. And so if you got guys out there that can provide you a similar you know, thing on offense that he can provide a la the three-point shot, then that renders Jetty a little less valuable. Now, the on the other side of that and the other end of that token is a guy like Dylan Windler. The real reason why we could end up seeing Jetty is if Dylan Windler still refuses to shoot the ball in the last six games of this season. Now, I know you saw this. There was this one singular possession which the ball swung around to Dylan and he had enough time to take a triple, and he didn't. That is the type of shit that I'm getting tired of with Dylan. I'm still enjoying what I'm getting from him on the defensive end in regards to you know some of the uh, ball movement that he's provided, and I think I tweeted this out um, at halftime. Dylan Willard did not give you anything in terms of traditional box score stats, but he was still a plus eight just because of his hustle on the defensive end, his limited minutes, and the fact that he was moving the ball. Now, if he doesn't shoot, my question for you, my friend, is do you pull him for Jetty? I think I, I said this on the chase down episode. I I feel like it has to be situational with the two of them. It really depends on what you're trying to get for one or the other. Uh, Cause you know, Jetty is going to be the guy if you're down and you really need someone to be gun shy and, or not gun shy and just start hucking up some threes. Jetty Osmond's the first name I would pull out of the Cavaliers <laughs> bench to be like, all right, let's go. Second then, to Kevin Love in those triple attempts, man. He's got to be. Yeah, I know. And then freaking uh, when Dylan Windler wants to come in, I feel like it has to be like when we're in a competitive game and we want players who are going to make the right play at the right time. Maybe not necessarily from shooting, as you alluded to, but uh, may, like when they, literally every other box, Dylan Windler kind of checks for me in terms of like what we should expect from a player at the three for us, because it's duly noted that the Cavs three is basically, we don't, I don't think we have a a true three on this roster. Like Jetty Osmond actually and Windler are the two threes that we have, but they aren't complete in either way. If we could just find a way to teach, have each them teach each other what their strengths are, we would have two really good threes. Yeah, I mean, there's no denying that. I absolutely believe 100% in what you just said. We do not truly have a formidable backup wing that can do both of those things, a la 3 and D. We need that. I don't know how the Cavs are going to acquire that. They might end up drafting somebody. They might end up trading for somebody. But they have to figure out a way to get one of these guys. Uh, Because, you know, I think uh, Carter said it the other day. They're expensive as hell Mm -hmm. um, to, to get a guy like that. Uh, when we were asked a question about kind of moving on from Larry Marketing uh, in the starting lineup, if we're able to acquire like a true, um, yeah, a true three, 
Um, I just and coming off the bench, that's even tough to find because we know Cleveland is not necessarily a, uh, a free agent destination. So I, I'm thinking that any way the Cavs are going to be able to acquire this guy is going to have to be via uh, via trade or via uh, draft and kind of just developing one. Yeah, unless they want to take like a swing on like an older wing, like a Trevor Ariza type, just someone kind of like taking a flyer on. Not necessarily Trevor Reza, but someone mm-hmm. along those lines. Even like a Robert Covington that gets tossed around from team to team, it feels like every I'm season. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, <laughs> Larry Nance seems like he's content in Nola now, so that's a little depressing. Now that, hit, But, yeah. you know, maybe if we can acquire Josh Hart, then he would really like to just be with his buddy because it seems like that's all the two want is to be reunited somewhere. And I guess I'll let it be in Cleveland if that push came to shove. You know, this was it's funny because this was a, a huge reason why a lot of people wanted Eric Gordon over Karis LeVert just because Eric Gordon has been known to be a better defender, um, you know, from, from a whole career uh, aspects than than Karis. And he is obviously a knockdown shooter from range uh, compared to Karis. But I still think it was a great move just but purely in terms of acquiring you know, a, a wing that can they can do some of these things that the Cavs need off the bench. It's going to be damn hard, man. Yeah, it's going to definitely take Colby Altman to just do what he does best and like kind of work between the margins. That's like, if anything is Colby Altman's strength, it's definitely that. I mean, drafting has also been very successful for him as well, but I think he has really helped us solidify our bench through working through those margins. I mean, Goodwin, Wade, uh, Lamar, those are all like, players even moses is showing life at times i mean he's also brought in players early on in this rebuild that were quickly brought in flipped for assets again i mean alec burks comes to mind for me and um and uh oh my god why am i i'm not i'm blanking on the name right now but (laughs) we're just gonna move on because this is a lot All right, man. All right. Just to put it, kind of put a bow on tonight's post game, you know, we'll take a look at a couple of their key stats here. Um, what was really crazy to me is that the Cavs actually shot very well from three point range tonight. They were 11 of 25, which is good for 44%. And conversely, um, they held, I don't even know if held is the right word, but uh, they allowed <laughs> Dallas to shoot 38%. But you know, the key difference there, Dallas took 42 shots from range compared to Cleveland's 25. Yeah. Cleveland's not really like they're so momentum based for their three point shooting. Like they shoot them in like spurts. I don't feel like they hunt for it consistently. And yeah. Dallas, like their MO was like with those Luca pick and rolls. It's like, all right, either Luca's going to attack the cup or he's going to just throw it out, it out to someone around, around the perimeter. And like Dorian Finney Smith, Maxi Kleber and uh, just, they just had a day pretty much yeah i mean it i mean it's not exactly the same type of style of play but it reminded me a whole hell of a lot of when cleveland played philadelphia and joel Embiid was literally just driving and kicking every single time he got double teamed and i know a lot of people were were really complaining on social media especially Cavs twitter tonight about the overcommitting to luca it's the same type of thing i, I mean like what do you expect these guys to do Luca demands such a presence um he demands double teams it's and I get it you don't want to see you really want to see one defender out there step up taking on the task of shutting Luca down but you just there's only so much you can do against a guy like that 
Yeah, I mean, it really just comes down to like, how do you want the game flow to go? I, mm. You'd ra- you would much rather have the ball be in poison. someone else's hands than the star player. Like, l- I mean, look at what teams do for the Cavs twenty four seven. They're not like, all right, we're gonna let Darius do his thing, and then uh, we'll live with the consequences. It's always like, all right, well, if we just stop, like, put two hands in Darius's face and make the other Cavs beat us, we have a much better chance of winning this game. Yeah. So, just think about that next time that you're like, why are we doubling Luca or why are we doubling Joel? It's because, uh, well, newsflash, if we would much rather have Dorian Finney Smith and, uh, Maxi Kleber and, uh, uh, oh my God, the uh, Davis Bertans freaking uh, Davis Bertans three really hurt. If I'm being honest. Yeah. Um, Davis Bertans was, uh, I kind of liked him when he was in Washington. I felt like it was a little bit of an underrated tenure there. He's just not a real physical guy, but he can still stroke it. Yeah, but if that shot's not falling, he is a literal zero in every other facet of the game. And there were yeah. periods in Washington where that shot was not falling. And I know a lot of Wizards people wanted Davis, uh, yeah, Davis Bertans to be shipped out to Europe again <laughs> before he was on, the, on another NBA team. Yeah, get his ass out of America. I guess that's how they were thinking. And JB apparently feels that way about Jetty, so that's awesome. Jeez, you think we're so Euro friendly. To Turkey, yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I'm sorry, Jetty. You know I love you. You know I love Point Jetty. Um, Point Jetty. Jetty, yeah. now that you're free, you and Dean, we can have another podcast, just the four <laughs> of us. <laughs> yeah, we're dying for an actual NBA player to jump on podcast. So uh that said, man, I mean, you look at some of the other stats here. You, there really was not a lot here to suggest that the Cavs lost big time because they didn't. I mean the, we already talked about the threes. I mean, the they made five additional threes, which obviously, you know, attributes to, what, 15 extra points. Uh, so some of the shots, there was just difference in some of the shot making that they had. Free throw disparity wasn't all that different. 17 of 22 uh, for the Cavs, 12 of 15 for Dallas. Um, assisting, 28 assists for Dallas, 24 for Cleveland. And and the turnover battle wasn't terrible. It was 13 tonight for the Cavs, 11 for Dallas. Now, if I had to say one thing that just this game, why we lost, it was just because we didn't have the defensive firepower to match what the what Dallas is bringing. So it makes sense because we didn't have our, like I said, our two best defenders on the floor. So yes. if you if you wanted to walk away from this game being upset that we lost, that's fine. But if you want to walk away being like the sky is falling, it's like actually no – the sky is not falling. It's that we we're missing two of the three best players on this team. Well, we can take solace in the fact that we still have a, a tiny lead on the seventh spot over Brooklyn uh, right now. So we'll have to see how things kind of shake out with them. It's just, man, um, it's tough to to watch these losses when you know this season is really, really. I feel like the Cavs have been robbed of like a, a great season just because of these injuries, but it's still overall, it's still a great season just because nobody expected them to be here. It just means that next season is going to be that much greater. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to look at it. Um, uh, I'm, I'm loving the positive vibes coming from you because typically that's me. <laughs> um, so now you're picking me up. That makes you feel great. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, the, the law of attraction. You get what you put out. Exactly. Exactly. And so I'm taking that in. Um, I feel great about the season overall, but with six games left to play now and with mobile, you're going to be still missing the next two 
Cavs have got to find a way to kind of pull out some type of W here. And just taking a look at their schedule, I want to say Cleveland, you know, we got Toronto, not Toronto, we have Atlanta tomorrow, right? Yeah, that's that's another tough one. That's like our most winnable game in this stretch, in my opinion, at least. I was going to ask, with the six games left, if I gave you the line of two and a half, are you going over or under for wins for the rest of the season? I'm still going to push the over. I still think three. I'm not going to ask you to be specific. (laughs) No, I'm not even going to attempt to. So thank you for not doing that to me. Uh, No, I still think three and three split is still possible. It's just very tough to do so when you're when you literally don't know who's going to suit up at the big spots on a night to night basis. And you can't expect Karis LeVert to have a 30 plus point outing every night. No, but it would be nice. (laughs) It certainly would be. That said, thank you guys for tuning in. Again, like I tell you at every episode at the end, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can at it's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you'd like to be added to the exclusive It's Cavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review on whatever medium you're listening to us on or viewing us on, and send a screenshot of that proof to It's Cavalier. 53 at gmail.com. Have a good night.